0: If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and stand and turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 6. and Read the first seven verses. This text is not only for those who are being commissioned as deacons today, but this is for every one of us as it becomes... Uh, what I call a divine strategy for dealing with growing pains. Thank God for growing pains. This is servant leaders, God's answer, God's strategy. You found it. Let's look beginning in verse 1. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables, therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint over this business or appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, and then we read that they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So as a result of that, preach the preaching about God flourished, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests even became obedient to the faith. Would you bow your heads? with me. Father, as we come to you right now, we come believing that you are here in a special and a powerful way. And Lord, that you can do something wonderful in our midst today. And we ask just for that. We thank you that even this service today is a celebration of how you have already been at work in our church and in our families and how you are growing and multiplying us to have an impact on this world. Lord, be with us today as we celebrate, as we move forward as a church. That you'll continue to raise up laborers, because the harvest is truly plentiful. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated this morning. Do you remember experiencing growing pains? Anybody remember what it's like being young and wanting to grow? And you, you couldn 't grow, maybe some middle school boys will say, "Amen, remember what it 's like. I remember just being a child, and I wanted to be bigger. I remember even thinking, if I just got angry enough, maybe I could have it happen to me what would happen to was it David Banner that turned into the Incredible Hulk right? I thought, man if I just get mad enough at somebody, maybe these muscles will bulge out, and i 'll begin to grow up. I wanted to be bigger i haven 't prayed to be bigger in a long time, but when I was little. Man, I wanted to be bigger, and uh, I remember hoping that maybe I could do something to get bionics, be the bionic man, right? Just I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to be bigger and, and stronger and um, become a man. That, that, that boy in me wanted to grow up, and I didn't realize that when I would go through those growth spurts later in life, I would experience something called growing pains, that muscles would ache for no apparent reason. That tendons and ligaments would be in stretch, and not always would the muscles and the ligaments grow at the same rate. I mean, you can't experience something called Sever's disease where you know the, the the bones would grow a little bit faster than than the ligament would grow to handle that, and so you go through some extreme growing pains when things like that happen. And so when you're growing up and everything's changing and you experience those growing pains, you also learn to comprehend things emotionally. And so there are those emotional growing pains. If you've had middle school girls in your home, you know what it's like for them to be crying for no apparent reason. And mom's just going, well, that's just part of growing up. It just happens. And it's like, well, I just can't handle all these emotions. But there are emotional growing pains. And in the same way, the body of Christ, we are a body. We are made up of many members. And as we grow as a body, both in breadth and in depth, as we grow in number and as we grow in spiritual maturity, as a church, it's only natural that you experience growing pains, things that are not comfortable or things that you have to deal with, things that you have to massage, things that you have to push through. And so many will decide as a body of believers. That it's not worth the pain to grow. But I want to tell you we've been given a great commission to grow both in depth in the teaching ministry of the Word of God and in breadth in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. Growth requires change. Often change equals pain. And so if growth means pain, we often avoid it. It means adjustments. It means As we add numbers to the body of Christ, that those people are people we should care about, then there are more personalities that could possibly clash. It could mean that somebody who's always had a a little bit of a, a position or power of some kind in a church, they might lose that position or that power. Communication channels have to change. Ministry strategies have to change. All of that's growing pains not to mention the uh, facility accommodations and other things that you have to work on. Acts chapter 6 describes a growing church. As we looked at in verse 1, the number of the disciples was multiplying in those days. Now understand something about the, the disciples here and, and the growth in the church because it did lead to some complaining and, and some, some criticism about what was taking place among the leadership understand a couple of things. First of all, the the pendulum can swing too far in either direction here. First of all, understand the Bible does tell us to do all things without grumbling or complaining. And so there's nothing spiritual about this gift of criticism that some people have. Uh, Having roast preacher for lunch or whatever it may be. I don't think uh, uh, any of you are guilty of that, right? If you are, don't tell me about it. I'd just rather not know. But uh, people grumble and complain and gripe, there is scripture that reminds us to do all things, Philippians 2.14, without grumbling or complaining. On the other hand, if you're in a position of ministry leadership, whether it be a pastor of a church or any other position of ministry leadership, understand that a lot of times criticism or complaining represents something that is real or perceived to be real, even if it's not. And so it's something that we as leaders in the church should take time and seriously consider. Maybe that person who is expressing the concern isn't doing so in the flesh. Maybe it's constructive criticism, and they're helping you to grow. And so, again, the pendulum can swing too far to either side. For more effective ministry and growth, however, we need to be proactive, not reactive, and say, what can we do to make those growing pains stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. Stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. Well, God's given us a strategy in his word, and it's developing more people to take leadership responsibilities. In Acts chapter 6, this strategy can apply to every single ministry in the church. In fact, the word deacon is not used in this text. Many scholars believe this is, remember, in the book of Acts, the church is growing and developing. Much of it is descriptive as much as it is prescriptive as far as learning what they did, not just how we or why we do what we do. Now, later, when we have the pastoral epistles, we see that there were two offices that were established, and that becomes very prescriptive for the church. There were the the pastor elders, if you will, and then there were the deacons in the church. So, there were two offices that were established there in the church. But as we learn from Acts, there are a number of ways that those can be implemented in the life of the church. Again, people can go to extremes. I've heard uh, you know, some churches go to the extreme of letting maybe the, the, the group of deacons in the church, they kind of are the only servants, and they're the only pastors. They, they, it's kind of a board of directors that runs the church. That's one extreme that's unbiblical, and so because of that, I've heard other pastors tell me before, oh, we planted a church, and we're not going to have deacons, because they've had a bad experience with deacons in the past, and they say, we're not going to have deacons in our church, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you mean not have deacons? That is not only descriptive, but prescriptive of the New Testament church, the role of pastors, our pastor elders, and the role of deacons in the life of a church. So what is the significance of this ministry and and networking ministry? What can we learn from this passage that would apply this morning not only to these newly commissioned deacons, but would also apply to every area of ministry in the church? So for those of you who thought, man, I'm glad he's preaching to like Corey and Misty and Adam and Rebecca this morning, so I'm just going to kind of check out and I'll pray for them. This is for every area of ministry. This is for all of us. This is a great reminder for this pastor this morning. First of all, I want you to see that this strategy minimizes the level of criticism. It minimizes the level of criticism. Again, the disciples were multiplied, so this is a growing pain. Here's the criticism. The Hellenistic Jews were complaining against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, affinity groups can be a wonderful thing in the church that you get to know a group of people that you have a lot in common with. Sometimes that happens in our small groups by age categories and things like that. Sometimes that happens when a group of people that like to hunt and fish hang out with each other, and a group of people that like sports hang out with each other, a group of ladies that like Uh, certain hobbies hang out together. Affinity groups can be a wonderful thing in helping you to get to know each other unless one particular affinity group thinks that they are more important or more special and they become cliquish and it's hard for anybody else to be a part of that. And so I'm glad the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the the Hebraic Jews would have been kind of the more orthodox had kind of stuck with the traditions of Judaism of that day And and the Hellenistic, to be Hellenized, meant that you had kind of embraced the Greek culture. They might have been more considered more the contemporary crowd of that day. And, And they felt like that this other crowd was neglecting their widows. Somebody's being neglected in this case. And you note in the text, nowhere did the disciples say, you're making this up, you're fabricating this they assumed that that was probably a good observation here. So they didn't just beat them up for their grumbling and complaining. They said, this is a legitimate stepping stone for growth here. But we need to minimize the level of criticism. And so I want to say to all ministry leaders, and I'm going to talk to our ministry teams again tonight, but all ministry leaders here at Trinity this morning, we need to learn to value certain problems. Because if we fail to value those problems, In doing so, we may fail to value certain people. And I know this morning that you're like, man, but there are some weird people that come into the church with weird problems. Probably, you know, one out of every three of us are going through something that would make everybody else say, man, you're kind of weird going through that right now. You kind of look to your right and your left. If the person on your right or left this morning don't look like they're just a little bit weird to you, then guess who that third person is? I mean, we, we're different, and that's the beauty of the church As we come together and we love each other in spite of our differences because we all need the grace of God and God's work in our life. We all come this morning in need of a touch of God in our lives, and, and so we can't look for that perfect church because there's no such thing, and if you ever find what you believe is the perfect church, by all means, don't join it because you'll ruin it the day that you join it there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect Christians. The complaining was going on because somebody felt neglected. There was a problem. The apostles didn't ignore the problem, nor did they neglect their priorities. They became strategic in their response. Now, a lot of times, I know this because I hang out with pastors. A lot of times, those in positions of leadership, whether it's church leadership or whether it's uh, business leadership, when we see people that are a little bit quirky or see people that that might cause a problem, we we sometimes respond by saying, man, we need to get rid of them. That person is antagonistic. If we could just run them off, then everything might be okay. And the problem with that is when you try to silence your critics, it's going to be kind of like the the, the the georgia football game yesterday hope there are no carolina feds here right did they silence the crowd absolutely they silenced the crowd and they ran almost all of them off and so many times in the church we act like we're in competition with the critics and so we've got to beat them we've got to beat them and if we run them off we win and and, and again if everybody is quirky gets run off there's not going to be anybody left And so we've got to, the goal in sports may be to beat the opponent. But for believers, we're to win people with the gospel of grace. And so our desire is to respond. Now, can you win everybody? Of course not. There are going to be and there have been people who have left this church over the years who just were not going to embrace the mission and vision God has given us. And that's okay. That's okay. If they're not called to that mission and called to that vision, they need to find a church where they can roll up their sleeves and go to work and embrace the mission and the vision. But our goal is not to empty the seats by silencing the crowd, but to win people to Christ and to the mission and to the vision. And so the complaint was legitimate here. As people say sometimes, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just, we'll just start a, start a new church. You know, new church plants that come out of a split almost every time, somewhere close to the 20-year period, we'll go through a major refinement where a majority of the people leave. This church experienced that. But almost every church plant that begins because a group left one church that they were not happy, they, they almost go through, always go through a refinement to where a lot of people leave, and then it gets established in humility in the right way, and then God does something wonderful. After the death of a vision, he resurrects that vision. Spirit-filled deacons can be some of God's choice servants. To um, to put it in the words of the great theologian Barney Fife, nip it, nip it, nip it, nip it, right? Nip it in the bud. Deacons can do that. When the complaining happens, they can be that source. Now listen, they can also, and any ministry leader can also uh, throw fuel on that passion of criticism, but a lot of times they can be the ones to say, you know what, we can handle that, and they nip it by the way they handle it. Notice in verse 3 it says in the King James and the New King James that they would appoint them to this duty. This business, actually, is what it says in the King James and New King James. This business. This particular thing. See, sometimes we're guilty of thinking that a deacon board, and I don't like that word deacon board, I I, I like the word deacon body, but a lot of times we think that a deacon board is a group of people that handle the business of the church. And that's not the case. We have a variety, you saw them listed on the overhead a little bit earlier, we have a variety of ministry teams that handle a number of different areas of business within the church. This particular business in this church at this time was that there were ministry needs, care needs that were going neglected. And so there needed to be networked shepherding, caregiving ministry to extend out from the ministry of the apostles. And this would make sure that ministry needs were being met, people were being cared for, and when people were being cared for, it would minimize the level of criticism. Next, I want you to see that it maximizes the leadership potential in the church. It maximizes the leadership potential in church. The apostles could have easily been distracted and said, you know what, forget this thing about preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and spending time in prayer for the people of God. Man, we've got some fires to put out. And, and, And so let's abandon what God's given us as a primary mission and let's start putting out all of these fires. In verse 2, it says the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples, said it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God. It's not that waiting on tables was anything less significant, except for it wasn't what God had called them to do. It wasn't their primary calling. In verse 4, he says, We'll devote ourselves... And these apostles, serving as pastoral leaders in the church that was being established in Acts at this time, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. Ninety percent of you know by now my favorite hero of the faith in modern times is Dr. Adrian Rogers because I learned so much from him more than any other pastor that I was able to learn from. And Dr. Rogers said again and again to preachers, I was able to sit, be, be part of a, a round table of pastors, just Q&A time with Adrian Rogers, something I'll treasure for all of my life. He's been in heaven now for about 12 years. But he said this, he said, brothers, you spend more time preaching than you do administrating or anything else, but spend more time praying than you do preaching. But give yourselves, devote yourselves to preaching the word and to prayer. And don't get caught up in everything else that can distract you. He he went on to say, listen, there are some great churches that have not so great administration. He said, but I can't think of any great churches where the pastor neglects this book and prayer. And he said, give yourselves to the word of God and to prayer. Prayer is more important than preaching, and preaching is more important than administration or anything else you can be involved with. If you're watching the NASCAR race this afternoon, as Kent probably will be, and you see that the driver is out of the car working on it a lot, probably there's trouble. I remember seeing those scenes where where Tony Stewart's got the The sledgehammer beating on a car because he wants to get back in. But if the driver is out, if he's not in the driver's seat, then there's probably some problems going on. He knows that he needs that pit crew. He needs that crew chief. He knows that those guys putting those lug nuts on that car are just as valuable as anybody and that every second counts. But if he's not doing what he was called to do, then there's probably problems somewhere. Do pastors have to get out from the pulpit and the walls of the church and handle problems absolutely, but their primary responsibility should be to fill the pulpit and to have a life full of prayer and presenting that to the people. If he's not, then there's trouble in the church. Thank God for staff and deacons and ministry teams that handle so many things. So many of you gifted at things that I'm not gifted at. And when you're doing what God's called you to do, man, I thank God that we have deacons here that get it. And when they're doing what God has called them to do, when I I go to the hospital sometimes and make a visit, and they, well, you know, your brother's already been here. And I'm like, praise God. He's a deacon in the church, and he's doing what God has called him to do because he loves people and cares for people. When I came to Trinity as pastor, I remember being interviewed by that uh, pastor search committee and I asked the question, I asked them, where would you rather me spend the majority of my time? And they said, in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Should I be involved in pastoral care? Yes. Evangelism? Absolutely. I should set the example. Administration, it has to be one of my responsibilities. But a lot of this has to be networked. The care ministry has to be networked if we're going to handle growing pains. The pastor is to, what did Paul tell Timothy? Preach the word in season and out of season. Give yourself to those teaching and preaching ministries of the word of God. And so the deacons are such a blessing to me and to this church because I often find them saying to me, pastor, I will handle that. I see them constantly in this church and in this community rolling up their sleeves and serving others. They are to me like Aaron and Hur were to Moses. Remember when Joshua was leading the charge against the Amalekites and and they would grow weary in battle, they would start to lose, but as Moses would hold up his staff, they would be getting the victory and he couldn't hold up his staff anymore. And Aaron got on one side and held up one arm and Hur got on the other side, he's holding up the other arm and they held up the arms of the leader while Joshua led the victory. And so many times, your deacons and other ministry leaders in this church are holding up my arms. And I thank God for them. Look what happened as a result in verse 7. You talk about maximizing the ministry leadership in the church. The preaching of God flourished flourished. You know why? in so many churches, some of you have been to some of those churches, you say, man, when I was going there, I I just wasn't being fed spiritually. I felt like the pastor, he was preaching the same thing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Listen, you need to pray for that pastor because there's somebody that will complain if he's not sitting at the hospital all day long every day. There's somebody in that church who's going to complain if he's not there to hold the Kleenex for grandma when she's got to blow her nose. There's somebody in that church giving that pastor a hard time because they want a family chaplain they don 't want a preacher of god 's word. and so in this situation, the disciples and the, who had become apostles were preaching about God, and it flourished, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied. Their effectiveness was so deep and penetrating that even those who were religious Jewish leaders, the priests, became obedient to the faith. They said, these apostles have been with Jesus, and these apostles know their stuff because they've given their time to the Word of God and to prayer. Greater growth and impact happens when we network ministry that way. Great outreach could be followed by more complaining, but now they've got a strategy in place to handle that. And finally, I want you to see this morning a strong challenge to Adam, to Corey, to their wives, that it models the life of a spirit-filled Christian. This strategy puts in place some people who will model the life of a spirit-filled Christian. Notice in verse 3, they had to be of good reputation. They had to be somebody who could be looked to as an example. I think the number seven here is just simply descriptive, not prescriptive. It depends on the size and the need of the congregation. But they had to be full of the Spirit and wisdom yielded in their lives, not perfect, but yielded to the Spirit of God in their lives, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whom we can appoint over this. And so these were Spirit-filled Men of God, full of faith, full of wisdom. As the church gets well established, if you'll turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see the qualifications of deacons in the church. This word deacon means servant. And it says deacons are servants, but we also see that within the context that was an office in the church by this time. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine. We ask our deacons at Trinity uh, to abstain totally from alcohol so that it doesn't become a stumbling block to anybody in their lives. Not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons." wives too must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Now, a lot of folks look at this passage and they say, well, pastor, you know, that word in the Greek can be translated women or wives either way. So it's talking about female deacons. And so I know a lot of pastors that get into debates with one another, a lot of theologians, a a lot of churches argue the logistics of all this and they say, well, see, This passage is about having male deacons and female deacons within the church. And after all, the word is servant, and every one of us are equal in the eyes of God and should be serving together. How have we decided to handle that whole argument here at Trinity? We believe in the family. And I believe that a man of God married to a woman of God will see this text. Again, look at the text, look at the context of the text. It, it is a complementary position. It's a man and a woman who love God and love each other. And this ministry complements it. Listen, one of the greatest things you can do as a deacon and a deacon's wife is love each other. As you love God and you love each other, you will model for this church the love of Christ for his church. You'll model that for your kids. As you love God and you love each other. And so it looks... Uh, very much like a complimentary. So yes, we have, we, in in the order of Titus two, we believe there are certain situations where the older men should be mentoring the younger men and older women, the younger women, those who are maturing in their faith, impacting the next generation. And he goes on to say, the deacons must be the husbands of one wife. That means a one woman man. I don't think that just means fellows one woman at a time. I think it means a one woman man. You're modeling marriage the way it was intended to be, managing their children and their households competently for those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if someone is a minister, a servant in the church, they need to model this spirit-filled life for everybody else. Could you imagine if you went to see a doctor? And you've got some health problems and you're waiting there and you're sitting there in that little gown that you'd rather not have on. And that doctor walks in and he's got a cigarette in one hand and he's got a beer in the other hand and he's completely out of shape and he looks a little bit anemic. And he says, what's your problem? The truth is he may know his stuff, but you're not likely to believe it. And so many times, that's what happens in churches where they have, that's what's turned so many off against the office of deacons and sometimes even pastors is because they don't see the spirit-filled life being modeled by those who have a position. It's not about a position. If somebody comes and says, well, then why can't I be a deacon? Then they're probably not qualified for the position because they're seeking it rather than allowing it to seek them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as you yield to the Spirit of God and grow in those areas, God will give you ministry. It's power to live in the character that God's called you to exhibit and serve Him. That means not only... For Adam and Rebecca and for Corey and Misty and their families. It means for every one of us that want to network ministry in this church. We can't neglect our worship. We can't neglect our time in discipleship, our time in small groups, our time alone with God. I remember when I was a kid, little kid, very discerning, but a little kid, walking into a church and knowing we're taking the Lord's Supper today. Not because I saw the elements on display at the front of the church, but because there was a certain deacon that I knew if he was at church, then we were serving the Lord's Supper that day because he only came when he had to serve the Lord's Supper. What a tragedy. What, what a war perspective a little boy got of what deacon ministry was all about. Stephen would share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and be stoned to death one of those first deacons. Philip would model the spirit-filled life as he would chase down an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot and say, let me explain to you what the Bible means. As all they had was the Old Testament at that time and it pointed to Jesus in Isaiah. Somebody got the bright idea to preserve Roman aqueducts one day by saying, listen, if we keep keeping these in operation before we know it, the water will just ruin them. So they stopped the water from going to try to preserve them. And the truth of the matter is, it was the fact that they were in arid areas that got dry that caused them to totally erode after that. And if we neglect that Spirit-filled life, allowing the Spirit to flow through us, we'll waste away to nothing. But as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, as He flows through us, we'll bring refreshment and life to His church, to this community, and ultimately to our world. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Father, we just consecrate these next few moments to you. We celebrate what you're doing in the lives of these men, their families. We thank you for their wives. We thank you that they have modeled these things that we have talked about this morning, that they have met the certain qualifications, Lord, we pray that this moment would inspire all of us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.